Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hi there and welcome to the podcast hour with me, Richard Scott. There's now about 700,000 different podcasts out there to listen to today. That's a lot. So each week I put on my headphones and share the best of what I hear with you. Coming up today, a horrifying breach of beach etiquette. He leaves his enormous underpants on my tree. He goes back to his banana chair and lies down. The enormous underpants flap in the breeze above my head. Then stories from Baltimore's blocks. What do you think has been the happiest moment of your life? When my children's father got deported. <laughs> it is, it was. It's out of the blocks. One hour radio. One city block. Everybody's story. I see you got like a, a lump in your neck. Is the bullet still in there? We're right here. On the side. Yeah, this is the bullet right here. And before we go, off menu. Two British comedians get guests to talk about their dream dishes and favourite food memories. This is where the, the, I think brain sauce and red sauce, that, all right, there's loads of sugar and salt in them, but yeah. what you think about, they're a balance of acidity. They're quite, there's sugar and vinegar that's reduced out and mixed together. So when you put, when people are putting red sauce on stuff and brown sauce, all they're doing is bringing in a natural balance of cooking. They're almost becoming Michelin star chefs. <laughs> it's your mouth that's bringing it all together. You yeah. want it all together. And if you want to recommend a favourite podcast to feature or just next time you hear something good, then do let me know about it. Pods at rnz.co.nz is the email address. And on Twitter, we're at RNZ Podcast Hour. The rude shop assistant, fireworks at the wrong time of the year, the parking space lost because somebody cut in front of you. Have you ever let yourself stew on something? Well, that's the theme of a recent story from Shortcuts from the BBC, a show that's become a bit of a regular listen for me over the past few months. In it, the comedian Josie Long, she's got an audible smile, you'll hear what I mean in a minute, plays hand-picked short stories arranged around a theme. These can be confessional or comic, informative or cartoonish. Some sound like personal art projects. And because these stories are so varied, I guarantee you'll find something you enjoy in every single episode. This is Shortcuts. Brief encounters, true stories, radio adventures and found sound. Today, the descent. A lot of these little critters make noises. Some of them sound like drums. Shrimps make a noise like frying bacon. I never said anything about you being cantankerous. Well, I've got it on tape, so you did say it. Really? Mm-hmm. On today's programme, we have stories on the grandest scale imaginable. 
things falling from the heavens to the earth, people travelling to the very bottom of the ocean. But the first thing you're going to hear is on a much more human level. It's the story of one woman going into a downward spiral. This is The King and I. Ironically, the book I was reading at the time is actually the book I'm still reading, this one here. And it's sort of a little bit about a grumpy older woman without much tolerance. And I wondered if I'm turning into that woman. It could well be. It could well be. Because I think you've taken this all a little bit too seriously. I'm telling my mother what happened. I'd assumed she'd be on my side, that she'd empathise. I thought she'd say, you're not grumpy and you're certainly not old. I think you're growing into a very cantankerous, is that the word? Cantankerous middle-aged lady. Cantankerous? I think that bothers me even more than the story I'd been telling her. A story that almost ruined a perfect day at the beach. I'm sitting on a patch facing the sea. I have a small tree to shade me and provide support for my back. I'm comfortable. At last. I've already moved twice, but now I've found my patch. What a perfect Sydney day it is. Blue sky, warm, crystal clear sea. How lucky am I? It wasn't always like this. Just half an hour ago, I was cursing. Not out loud, of course. I'd been sitting on a bench in an open hut. It had only a side view of the sea. Huts facing the sea are grabbed early on days like these. The sidelong view isn't bad at all, but I had neighbours and they were noisy, and the text alerts were coming fast and furious. This became especially annoying when I realised they were coming from the hut facing the sea. The best hut with the best view wasted. I didn't move to this little patch the moment it became available. I really needed to evaluate. What if the tree didn't provide enough shade? What if it's on an ant nest? What if I regret moving? Despite its obstructed view, this hut would be grabbed quickly. It's that kind of day. Busy, warm school holidays. There really would be no turning back. The text alerts became unbearable. If I don't move quickly, I'll miss out. I decide to risk all. I relocate. The tree is small and low, but it provides a perfect canopy. The breeze is sublime. My view of the sea now uninterrupted. I have a sarong to put behind my back, so the tree bark doesn't irritate my skin and the ants can't bite. There's a group of teenage girls nearby. They're also shaded by a small tree. They're chatting and gossiping and laughing, but I like their noise. It makes me feel nostalgic, even a bit melancholic. Why don't my friends and I hang around at the beach in groups anymore? When did we stop doing that and why? 
An older man with leathery tanned skin sits a few metres from the girls, a little further from me. I don't know him, but I recognise him. He's a local and is always in the same spot. Takes up a lot of space. He has one banana chair, one director's chair, and a rather large beach tent, which he never seems to use. Four families could sit in the space he takes. Ah, the quest for space. When I first started dating my Serbian boyfriend, I mentioned space often. I'd say, I need some space. Give me space. You're taking up my space. Until one day he exploded and said he'd never heard anyone talk about needing space until he came to this enormous country. From the corner of my eye, I see the man with the leathery skin pull something out of a bag. Underpants. He turns them inside out and then examines them. He's not a huge man, but he's solid and the underpants are the old man equivalent of Bridget Jones' big underpants. He gets up, still examining the underpants, and walks towards the lovely young girls in their little tree. He pauses, looks at them, and then walks right past them towards me. He looks at my little tree, but doesn't acknowledge my presence at all. He hangs the underpants on a branch which is only inches from my head and I think, what's the meaning of this? This is my tree, my space. I give him the dirtiest of looks and I clear my throat so strongly that it hurts. He leaves his enormous underpants on my tree. He goes back to his banana chair and lies down. The enormous underpants flap in the breeze above my head. The teenage girls are oblivious. They continue with their chatter and laughter. Only I am affected by these huge flapping underpants. The breeze picks up and I feel drops of moisture. I can't say for sure whether these are from the underpants or the sea. I feel the heat rise within me. I see a beach inspector and I think about what I can say to make him have a word with the old man. Have you noticed that man and how he takes up so much space? And do you know what he's done now? Is there something that can be done about him? No, the inspector won't take any notice of me. He'll be polite, but he'll think, get a life. The girl's laughter starts to annoy me. Would they be laughing or cowering if underpants flapped overhead from their tree? Why me? Why my tree? Is it because I don't matter? Or is that adage about middle-aged women being invisible true? Or maybe he did see me and didn't like what he saw. I remember what my father used to say. Bitchy. All women over 40 are bitchy, especially when they're dieting. Maybe this man thinks I look like a bitchy woman too, and this is his revenge. He could have taken the girl's tree. They probably wouldn't have even noticed. Or better still, he could have hung them on that beach tent of his. But no, he had to hang them above my head. I put down my book. I can't concentrate. 
my patch is no longer perfect. The sarong that was protecting my skin from the rough bark of the tree slips and an ant bites my crotch. The day is ruined. I may as well go home. I stand to leave. I forget to take the height of the tree into account and hit my head. The old man hasn't noticed that his underpants have fallen, but a fancy blonde labradoodle has. He trots over and has a bit of a sniff. I hold my breath. The labradoodle lifts his leg to pee on the underpants. I lean back and relax. Justice has prevailed. I can resume my enjoyment of the view and the breeze and the girl's laughter once more. All is well in the world. Hello. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Hi. How are you going? Good. Good. How are you? Good, good, good. I have a question for you. Yes. Do you really think I'm cantankerous? I never said you were cantankerous. Yes, you did. When? When we were at the beach, when I was telling you that story about the man and the underpants. I never said anything about you being cantankerous. I'm not even sure that I know what cantankerous means. Well, I've got it on tape, so you did say it. Really? Mm-hmm. I think all of us are at times, aren't we? So you don't take it back? Huh. I can take it back. Sure, I'll take it back. Why not? The King and I was made for us by the Australian radio producer Natalie Kersticher. And I should say that Natalie sent us a photograph where she was sat by the tree pointing at the exact spot where the underpants were. And she's 100% in the right on this. There's no dispute whatsoever. Those underpants are outrageously close to her head. It's absolutely unacceptable. Some of Shortcuts and an episode called The Descent, produced by Eleanor McDowell and presented by Josie Long, and that's a falling tree production for BBC Radio 4. And the later season of Shortcuts has just wound up, but it was season 18, so there's a big old back catalogue of about 100 episodes to catch up on. Details of where to listen to more and subscribe if you go to rnz.co.nz forward slash podcast hour. Baltimore in Maryland, population 611,000, is the birthplace of the baseballer Babe Ruth and of the Star-Spangled Banner, the US national anthem. It's a historic port and manufacturing centre with more heritage buildings than any other US city. But Baltimore's also got an unenviable reputation for crime, drugs and violence. OK, some of this could be down to The Wire. The epic TV series used the gritty city as a backdrop. But there is some basis in reality. One recent survey puts four of America's top ten most dangerous neighbourhoods in the city. Out of the Blocks started up as a short audio project six years ago, an experiment to collect stories by chance and to capture the distinctive sound of individual city blocks. The results were so compelling that the idea expanded out into more neighbourhoods 
And now it's practically become a franchise, with grant money taking the show to other cities, including Seattle, Detroit, Atlanta and Chicago. And also onto the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota earlier this year. I'll speak to Erin Henkin, who started up Out of the Blocks in just a moment. But first of all, here's some of an award-winning episode called 2100 Edmondson Avenue. On WYPR. In Baltimore. It's Out of the Blocks. From the minds of Erin Hankins and Wendell Patrick. One hour of radio. One city block. Everybody's story. Everybody's story. Everybody's story. Everybody's story. This is 2100 Emerson Avenue. I got two girls cooking, one cooking a case of bacon. I'm cooking a T-bone platter with scrambled cheese eggs and home fries with no onions. And I got a scrapple platter with scrambled cheese eggs and grits. Crystal. I've been working here for eight years, but I've been cooking for 11. Joyce is lucky to have you. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's a pain in the butt, but, um, you know, that's just the personality of this place. It's not always going to be peaches and cream, but it's a place that you know is real. No fake and phony stuff in here. Soul Sauce, can I help you? Joyce Smith, 2101 Emerson Avenue. Soul Sauce Restaurant. Turkey, bacon, cheese, eggs, and home steak, fry. home fries, and cheese, eggs. Chickpea. Anything else? cheese on everything. I came from Trinidad and Tobago and I ended up in Baltimore, Maryland and this is where I've been since. Seven days a week for 30 years now. I get so much I love from the customers in here. It's better than where I came from. They had no love in them. So you came here, you, you had a husband who was here, but he didn't stay? He got deported because he didn't want to do right. So he, they sent him back, and I stayed back with my four children, and I raised them from working in this breakfast spot for 30 years. What do you think has been the happiest moment of your life? When my children's father got deported. <laughs> it is, it was, because he, he was abusive. I was glad when they sent him back. And he tried for me to come back, and I told him, no, this is my chance now. I'm going to do me. My name is Jamelia, and my relation to Joyce is she's my mother. Just watching a black woman come up, handling everything merely on her own, I guess it was just embedded in me. Joyce, what do you think, what do you hope your daughter uh, has learned from watching you and learning from you and the way you've lived your life? That she could be just like me. Don't depend on nobody for nothing. Get up and get your own. You know? Hey, come say something about so-so's. Be going on the radio. Joyce a nice person, but she get nasty sometimes. Don't make her mad. Don't make her mad. You make her mad, I don't know. She go crazy on you. She ain't gonna lie to you. She gonna tell you straight up. She's like a mother figure and a grandmother figure mixed in one. Most of the customers been coming here since they was kids, going to school. And now they grown men and women, they still comes in here. So every day you see the same people. Yeah, when she first came here, I was here. She watched a lot of us grow up. Come on, ask him when he gonna pay his bill. <laughs> Joyce wants to know when you're gonna pay your bill. <laughs> never, never.
streetwise knowledge in me is like, okay, he's going to try to do something, right? He's nervous. It's probably the first time he didn't done this before. So he's, you know, his, his palms are sweaty. Michael Anderson, 2100 block of Edmondson Avenue. He pretty much asked me for a, a ride. And I said, you know, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to go home. And he said, well, you know, I, I pay you to take me there. I'm like, he said, he, you know, his, uh, his daughter was sick or whatever. He had to get home to her. So he gave me um, $15 to take him over there. And as we get in our travels, he was like, uh, I need that money back, that paper back. And I'm like, I ain't giving, he said, well, at least give me 10 of it back. I'm like, okay, well, get out right here. So he, as he started wiping his hands on his pants leg, I knew something was going to happen. And when he, he went in his, in his jacket, and as he was trying to come out of his jacket, I opened the door and tried to push him out. And as he was going out, that's when he fired the first shot. Then he uh, fired the second one, and he told me to get out. And I was so angry that I, you know, I said to him, you don't want that. And he was like, man, get out. And I just, that's when I just put the car in gear and pulled off. And I couldn't see out of my right eye. So I drove, it seemed like forever, but it was uh, about three miles away. I went to a uh, 7-Eleven and asked them to call 911. You drove three miles, have to get a shot in the face. Shot in the face, yep. Face and in the shoulder, yep. So this bullet went in under your eye and then went through and into your neck. Into my neck, yeah. And it knocked out uh, a lot of my teeth up top. Uh, broke a lot of them. They had to take all of them out on both sides up top. I had, you probably really can't see it now, but it was a, a big hole up there. I see you got like a, a lump in your neck. Is the bullet still in there? Where, right here? On the side. Yeah, this is the bullet right here. If you could be face to face with this guy who shot you, what would you say to him? Say. <laughs> or do? <laughs> it wouldn't be pretty, put it that way. And I, I probably would be incarcerated. You know, part of me wants to see him, but then another part of me don't because I'm trying to, you know, get past this and, and be there for my family. I know if I come face to face with him, then, you know, because where I come from, we don't let things like that go. I got to walk these streets all the time. If people knew that I let that go like that and came, then no telling when I walked in and what else would happen to me. So you know, I should hope not to see him again for real. And he should hope that I don't see him again. If you're just tuning in. You're on 2100 Emerson Avenue. It's out of the blocks. One hour radio. One city block. Everybody's story. Somebody say yeah. Hallelujah. But I'm so glad that there is a man that sits high and look low. My name is Pastor Annette Matthews. My church is Refuge Way of the Cross Church of Deliverance. We're located 2111 Edmondson Avenue. We're Pentecostal. 
So we like to sing, we like to shout, we like to clap. Lord, it's getting hot up in here. Go ahead. You know why it's getting hot? Because Jesus is turning up on fire. Yes. yes. I heard this voice plain as I'm talking to you now. And the only thing I can attribute it to is the voice of God. He said, I want you in leadership. Passion is what pushes you. Passion is what ignites your flame. Passion is what sends you forth. Do you remember your first sermon in front of a congregation? Well, my initial sermon was, believe it or not, fear will destroy you, but faith will deliver you. And that was my sermon because um, I had such a spirit of fear, low self-esteem. I felt like everybody could do it better than me. I can't do it. What's the purpose? You know, and um, so that was my first sermon, um, 2 Timothy 2, 7 and 8. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Jesus said, I give you power. I give you power. Sometimes they say it's a thankless job, and um, it's been actually a lonely walk. I have been challenged with my husband in sickness. My husband has been um, in the nursing facility for the last four years. He hasn't been there for me, but I've had to be there for him, and that has led me to question what is going on? Why? I've been faithful, God, and I've served you, and I just don't understand. And actually, I have not gotten an answer. In all of these 23 years, I've never lost a Sunday. But now I am in a place where I can't keep going. I don't have the sufficient help here. So my faith has been tested right in these last couple of years. How much longer do you predict that you have in this building? The beginning of 2017, that's the date that I've been given as far as a settlement because we have had someone to, um, we've signed contracts that they will purchase the church. However, that does not seem to be going very well. But anyway, we're still here. What do you think your final sermon is going to be about? before you guys leave this building? Oh, wow. It will probably be I fought a good fight. This is heavy for my heart, amen, that today we share in the loving memory of the late Reverend Dr. Rome B. Matthews, the overseer of this church and my husband. On Tuesday, the Lord called him home. Praise God. So my husband is in good company. Hallelujah. And I was there every day possible. Leaving from church, you know, and going immediately to the nursing home. And even when I woke up this morning and yesterday, I was saying to myself, I don't know what I'm going to do after church today. Take your time. Take your time, Pat. I don't know what I'm going to do after church because my Sundays have been spent with him. Help a Lord. Please. Help a Lord. Help a Lord. Help a Lord. Touch a Lord. 
Some of 2100 Edmondson Avenue from out of the blocks from WYPR. And Aaron Hankin, who makes the show with photographer and musician Wendell Patrick, told me how he came up with the idea. It was one of those light bulb moments that was many years in the making because I'd done different sorts of cultural programming and, you know, always was the holy grail for me to find stories that I didn't know existed. Uh, I actually read the yellow pages cover to cover at one point looking for people with weird jobs. Uh, And of course, you know, that's the phone book with business directory. And so you've got everybody's phone numbers there and you can call them. And I've met all kinds of interesting people that way, people who build and restore pipe organs, people who make artificial limbs and these sort of, you know, uh, characters that are hidden in plain sight kind of became like what is most fascinating to me. And And then this idea for going to a city block was like the perfect excuse to wander into the lives of strangers. And it turned out to be like a a kind of an infinitely repeatable project, too, because I'm not going to run out of city blocks in Baltimore uh, anytime soon. Talk to me, baby. Talk to me, baby. That's what they do to Indianapolis 500, baby. Baltimore is a city of... Many, many neighborhoods. There are actually more neighborhoods in Baltimore, someone told me, than there are in Chicago, which is like, you know, many, many times bigger as in terms of an American city. So for the size of the city that we are, we have a lot of different neighborhoods and people are really proud, sort of tribal about their neighborhoods. And so people also have a tendency to like stay kind of isolated in their neighborhoods too. So even though we, you know, we all live in the same city together, there'll be people on the west side of Baltimore who've never, you know, been over to the east side of Baltimore, or people who live, you know, on the south side of Baltimore who've never been over the uh, Hanover Street Bridge to, you know, downtown Baltimore. I was interested to learn you're actually not from Baltimore yourself, are you? No, no, I'm. I've only been here, I guess, about eighteen years, so that makes me still a newcomer. <laughs> uh, you don't, you don't get your Baltimore credentials really ever, unless you were born here. Uh, I came from the Midwest. I came, uh, you know, uh, from Chicago. So, and I came out here not really knowing much about the city at all. And it was, uh, it was weird when I showed up, but, you know, I really, all I knew about Baltimore was uh, John Waters movies, who is this sort of American uh, cinematic provocateur uh, who sort of presents this uh, very kind of, well, seemingly surreal landscape of Baltimore, but you, you show up here and you realize, like, hmm, he's not that far off the mark. Like, this is a weird town. Uh, <laughs> In what way? It's a town full of people who wear their hearts on their sleeve. And it's a town where there's a little, very little pretense, a town where people are just going to be real with you the first time you meet them, for the most part. And that's one of the things that makes this town, I think, custom made for this sort of random documentary project of ours. People love to tell their stories. We're standing on the legendary, most notorious Emerson Avenue, Pulaski Street, 2100 block. Soul Sauce Restaurant. Leoto Savix. Emmy's Food Palace. Refuge Way of the Cross Church of Deliverance. Emlat Restaurant. Shop. Best used appliances. Best appliances in town. 2126 Emerson Avenue. 2121. 2121. 2121. 2121. 2121. 2121. 2121. 
talk about, try just try to be as authentic and transparent as I can be about who I am and what my project is and what the goal is of it, and to let people ask me questions and to, in a casual way, start to get to know who's who, you know, who's interested in sharing stories. And then the taping starts, and that may go for, you know, a couple of weeks, and momentum will build on that. We'll end up with, who knows, 20, 25 hours of audio. And then we cut it all into, you know, what ends up being less than an hour. So it's not a very time-efficient way to make a, a program, but it, it's uh, the process yields um, kind of unusual results. It sure does. I mean, you end up with this amazing kind of mosaic of different stories all woven together. And we'll talk a little bit about the music because that's an important part of it. You've got lovely audio sound effects. There's atmosphere. You get a feeling of being in a, in a particular place. How does it change your relationship? You've, you've gone out there into these neighbourhoods. You've built up a bit of trust and rapport with someone. How does it change that relationship when you do pull out the recorder, though, and they go on to tape? Because that can change things, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. It always does. There's, I guess you could say, like a, a spectrum of skepticism in any group of people. And on any given block, there are some people who will gravitate to a microphone and some people who will shy away from a microphone. And it's just, a, I guess, a function of just being there with the microphone out all the time for long enough that people just get used to you. You know, the novelty of the guy with the microphone wears off after a while. And then, you know, that's when you actually start to be able to relate to people. And it's something that happens after we've gotten to know each other as well. So I'm not showing up the first time I meet them with the microphone. But, you know, I guess it's one of the beautiful things about podcasting and about radio is that you have such a smaller technological footprint when you do audio. You know, everything I use fits in a little public radio tote bag. And, um, you know, it's gear, but if you are used to using it, you know, it's like a magician. If, if, if it doesn't appear to be there for you, you can make it not that big of a deal for other people. Yeah, it's very different, for example, than going in with a whole film crew and makeup people and everything else. You're, you can go into neighbourhoods a little bit on the down low, I suppose, if you're recording material and you've got it all in your little bag there. You're not drawing a whole heap of attention to yourself. Right. And, you know, I keep saying we. I should explain. I co-produced this program with um, a gentleman here in Baltimore named Wendell Patrick. He's an electronic musician. He does the original musical scoring for every episode. That You mentioned the music in the episodes. That's, that's Wendell's work. And Wendell is also a great uh, portrait photographer. So we will, when we get to know people, make really nice photo portraits of them, too. You can see galleries of everybody. And it's interesting. People, sometimes people are really shy about getting their picture taken. Or sometimes people will love to get their picture taken, but really, really shy about doing an interview. So, you know, it just, it just depends on the person. Shorty, they call me Shorty. Why do they call you that? Probably because I'm only about five feet. That's probably why I got that name. Five feet of fun. Say your name? Gregory. I also known as Foot. How'd you get that nickname? Well, you know, I was always tall and my foot was big, so it just gave me the name Foot. How, how tall are you? I'm 6'7". You're five feet tall. Yeah. And your partner is six foot five, seven. Six seven. Yeah. What a combination, ain't it? <laughs> At first, we didn't even conceive of this thing as a series. It was just an experiment. You know, like I said, an excuse to meet a random cross section of strangers and to think about this city block, this kind of like urban honeycomb of existence where all these 
different lives are all happening simultaneously, one adjacent wall, next one next to the, the, the one beside it. And what would that sound like if you could sort of be a fly on the wall and hear a little bit of each of those stories? When you spend all day, every day, talking with random strangers around your city, it can really change you in a profound way, just psychologically. As a person, it's totally transformed my way of being. I love it. I live for talking to strangers at this point. And, you know, you get used to people kind of chuckling at you or being, you know, or scowling at you or whatever kind of reaction they may have. And then you also get to enjoy what happens when their defenses, when they decide to let their defenses down and have like a genuine sort of substantive human interaction with a total random stranger. And you both sort of walk away from that experience feeling great. I saw graffiti on a wall one time that said, the best conversation you'll ever have will be with a complete stranger. Mm. And it really is true. It's one, It's like always the best part of my day when I've met some new random person and, and now I know that person. Aaron Henkin, the producer and presenter of Out of the Blocks from the public radio station WYPR in Baltimore, Maryland. And you can find a great video and a list of Aaron's favourite podcasts on our website now. That's at rnz.co.nz forward slash podcast hour. If you could eat anything at all, like anything, what would your dream meal be? It's the simple question that British comedians Ed Gamble and James Acaster pose to their guests in Off Menu. As they ask diners at their imaginary restaurant to choose their favourite starter, main, side dish, drink and dessert. But the format's not just a great way to unlock stories of memorable meals and dream dishes. It also takes in tales about travel and how setting an ambiance and the people you're eating with are all important in forming these memories. Tom Kerridge is a celebrity chef, a man with a lovely West Country accent and several Michelin stars to his name, and he's the first chef they had as a guest on the show. He also used to be a self-confessed lump, who's lost 70 kilos and now avoids carbs and alcohol, although he will sometimes swallow his principles. I tell you what, one of the most amazing meals I've had was in a restaurant called Franson, which is in Stockholm, Mm -hmm. and they made the bread and the butter in front of you. It was honestly, it was mind-blowing. So when you got to the table, instead of it being a vase with flowers in or whatever, the table, like, decoration in front of you was a a block with a, um, a wooden block with a bread dough proving in front of you with a glass lid on it. And then you had a couple of courses in, and then they take the bread away to bake it, because it's proved up in front of you. Then they go and bake it, and whilst they're baking it, the waiter comes to the table with raw cream and beats the cream so it separates, pours the milk away, and turns it into butter in front of you and serves the butter, just freshly made with salt, and then the bread comes back fresh from the oven. It was like a mind blow, And it's the simplest thing that made it outstanding. And then you had to say to them, I don't do carbs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what a... I've got to be honest, that was actually, that? that was before my life-changing epiphany. Right, by, yeah. by that point, I probably had three bottles of wine, seven <laughs> gin and tonics, and I was like, this is amazing bread. I actually ordered it again. I was like, give us more bread. Yeah. I, it was, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a weekend away with a couple of chefs, and it was, yeah, it was chaos and mayhem. So we wow. were like, get me more of that bread, which actually yeah. threw them a little bit because there wasn't any more proving in front of the table. Yeah, right, so sure. I think they probably had to steal somebody else's bread. 
all about the sort of theatre of it, really, yeah, isn't it? And exactly. that's like going to a play and then going, first half again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> that was so good. Do it all again. Yeah. And then, what? Come on, what? I'll pay you. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds absolutely incredible. Yeah, that was that's brilliant. So phenomenal. I've had very, that's very fresh butter. That is, yeah. Oh, I, I want some right now on its own. I, I'd, I'd eat that butter on its own, I reckon. How, I'm not how, running my mouth off. I'd how strong were the waiters? They must have been really strong waiters, like just beating butter all day in yeah, front of Well, people. it was just one guy with one massive <laughs> arm. Yeah. 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 Living a tortured existence. Yeah. Poor man. <laughs> for, for your starter, sir. Yeah. Well, I kind of... I, I like, I've been very fortunate. I've travelled like loads and food has been part of my life. Like I've been a chef for 27 years, but some of the simplest things are the best. So I quite like um, calamari, please, with some mm. very simply made fresh mayonnaise. That would be delicious. Now, a lot of plates, I reckon most of the time when I go out to eat, and I haven't been there before, I'll look for the calamari. You're, a, you're a proper squid boy. Yeah, I'm a, I had squid with you yesterday. Yeah. You saw me, you saw me order it. I'm not lying just to impress carriage. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a good safety option as well. If you're in a new, if you're in a new restaurant, you yeah. don't know what it is, and you're a little bit unsure. Yeah. Squid is a, is, a, is a calamari is a good safety option. Although there is a little bit of a downfall that I don't think a lot of people know that quite often those squid rings they're reformed. So Are they're they? not, yeah, quite often they're they're like processed squid meat that's then piped you'll be able to tell oh. the ones that are almost circular rather than just flat do you know yeah. what I mean? like so if there's they're reformed yeah and then fre- so it's it's not fresh squid rings so it's got to be fresh squid rings not the reformed ones that i don't know where you ate yesterday but you know somewhere in camden it was uh our friend took us to a place in camden yeah but it, that was i'm sorry that was baby squid yeah you yeah yeah so you can't get they, away with baby yeah, squid they the reformed that, would be, that would fair be... play to them yeah <laughs> That would be more hassle than it's worth, really, yeah. wouldn't it? That would yeah. be hours of crafting. Absolute artist <laughs> yeah. in that kitchen. And you polished it off in seconds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it didn't even bat an eyelid. Where's the place you've had the best calamari? Uh, Greece. Like, I, I, I love Greece as a holiday. It's an amazing space. Sat sat on a on a kind of like just one of those taverna-like things on the front of the beach, watching the sun go down, eating calamari. Amazing. Like, love it. Is that important to you, setting? Well, I think... It, it, when, from a restaurant's point of view, it is quite. They're the things that make restaurants work. Is the whole environment? It's not mm-hmm. just the food because you can have amazing food in places, but it's not always necessarily served well. I mean, not like the standard of waiter that we have here, mm-hmm. and, 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 envi- and definitely not in an environment like we. Have here. I mean, this <laughs> yeah, is yeah. outstanding. But you know, it, 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 when you tick all of those boxes, that does make some of the best. Some of the best meals you can ever have are with the company that you've got and the place it is, as well as the food being mm-hmm. good. So it does, yeah, it does make a difference. It does make a difference. My dad has a theory that, I think this is specifically when you go on holiday, though, if the restaurant has a lovely view or an amazing surrounding, the worse the food's going to be, and you have to find the place, like, say you're in Greece, you have to find the place that's, like, down a side street and there's, like, a like mangy old dog walking past and they're going to have the best food because they have to to get people in yeah I, I, that's a fair theory particularly in holiday resorts I mean I remember once we went to um, a place in, in Cyprus with uh, my wife and my little man and we went and um, 
we would drive it. I got a taxi driver to take, take us into town. And it just takes us somewhere nice to Verona place. And as he drove into town, there was this place on the right hand side. And he goes, "That's where I go. That's where all the taxi drivers go." Yeah. And then, but I'll drop you in town at the front. And you went to the front, and they're just these packed tourist places. With the bloke at the front going, "Come on in, very nice. Come yeah, on in." Yeah, and yeah, it's well. like, "Hold on a minute. Right, let's go back to where the taxi driver <laughs> yeah. went back there." And it was amazing. It was an incredible meal, like yeah. cooked by. Three lovely old ladies in the kitchen doing beautiful like stews and stuff. So yeah, your dad's theory definitely worked in Cyprus then. Yeah, <laughs> the closest, the closer to a landmark something is, the worse it is. It, I, I'd agree with <laughs> that. Food wise, yeah, <laughs> it's close to a landmark. Like, oh, we'll just, we'll just get the stragglers. Doesn't matter. You just get all the tourists who are walking around going. Often, like I went to Paris last year for one day because my sister's family were there and they got little kids. So we went to see the Eiffel Tower, and then it's like, we need to eat. You can't walk around Paris phases with little kids on your phone going, no, I've Googled the best place. We're gonna go yeah. So you just kind of go to the nearest place, and then you're sitting there going, we are absolute mugs. <laughs> <laughs> Spending 20 euros on a really bad crepe. On like yeah. a really bad burger. It was so bad. I mean, we all, we all, we all the company was nice, sure. <laughs> but not good and enough to... No, no, the company, great company. Always good enough. I'll eat anything with my family, Ed, and you know it. <laughs> big wedge of lemon with the calamari? Yeah, I quite like a big wedge of lemon. Give it a good squeeze on it, definitely, yeah. Uh, I think the, you need the acidity is really good. I mean, it, it's only a little bit like putting malt vinegar on fish and chips, isn't it? Mm. It's like that acidity that brings it to life, so yeah. It's a big moment, though, when you start doing that. As a kid, you're not doing it. No. <laughs> That is very you true. You ain't never seen a kid squeezing a wedge of lemon over anything. <laughs> never happens. You'd be like, what's going on? What, what, you eating olives as well, you little punk? As an adult, I remember the first time I ordered some fish and chips and went, I'm actually going to use that lemon and squeeze it over my yeah. battered cod. Absolute game changer. And then tartar sauce as well. <laughs> You're not doing that as a kid. No, no kids having tartar sauce, are they? No kids doing any of that. Too sharp for a kid's palate. But as soon as I started doing that, oh, what a game changer. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, because it's funny, because that is my main course, is fish and chips. Is it? It is my main course, is fish and chips. Wow. That's that's what I've chosen. We are having a a day by the sea with Tom Kerry. We are having a day by the sea. Although, this fish and chips doesn't necessarily have to be by the sea. I mean, like in in an idyllic sort of situation, you're sat on a beach somewhere having fish and chips. Yes. But fish and chips are really special. Like, you remember their childhood memories. And like I say, it's a game changer when you put um, tartar sauce or lemon juice on it. Because actually, as Mission Star Chefs, what you're always looking for, any chef is looking for a balance of texture, crunch, Mm. acidity, all of those sort of things that come into line. So lemon, or capers or, or gherkins that are in tartar sauce is about bringing everything into balance and it's the same sort of thing as a full English breakfast which was a close second to my main course right. ah. but the idea of going all of those flavours that are salty yeah. and kind of protein led and starchy that then you need something to balance it up right. and this is where like, this is where the, the, I think brown sauce and red sauce that alright there's loads of sugar and salt in them. But yeah. what you think about, they're a balance of acidity. They're quite, there's sugar and vinegar that's reduced that and mixed together. So when you put, when people are putting red sauce on stuff and brown sauce, all they're doing is bringing in a natural balance of cooking. They're almost becoming Michelin star chefs. <laughs> it's your mouth that's bringing it all together. You yeah. want it all together. So, so what's your ideal, like, is there somewhere you've had the best fish and chips you've ever had? Yeah, well, I mean, it's so, see, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? Fish yeah. and chips, but there's nothing simple about it. Like, uh, 
some of the best fish and chips you'll have is, you know, when their chips are like really soggy and mm. a bit mm-hmm. rubbish because yeah. it's the summertime and there's too much, see, there's too much sugar in a potato in the summertime. There's okay. not enough starch. Oh. And that's why new potatoes don't make great. They're not very good at chipping. But, right. you know, and then you, when you put malt vinegar on it and the paper's stuck to the chips and all that. Yeah. Actually, that's not that's quite a nice thing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I couldn't serve soggy chips with paper stuck to them in a restaurant. So sure. you go, okay, so then we have to go down the triple cook chip route, right? Which is kind of like, I mean, I mean, the whole science of it is boring, and I won't tell you on the, on the, uh, on the podcast because like it will go on forever. But you triple cook them to make sure they're lovely and crispy. Uh-huh. You go well, then all of a sudden, like you don't give as many chips, and it take, the process costs too much money. Sure. So it's a very fine balance between the best chips in the world, or soggy, wet ones covered in paper. Chef Tom Kerridge speaking to James A. Caster and Ed Gamble on the Off Menu podcast, and that's produced by Plosive Productions. And that's about it from the podcast hour for now, as well as Off Menu. This week we've been listening to Out of the Blocks and Shortcuts. And do keep your listening recommendations coming in to me at pods at rnz.co.nz, and I'll feature as many of them as I can on future shows. So until next time, from me, Richard Scott, happy listening and enjoy the rest of your weekend. See you. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.